After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. All right. Uh, welcome back, everyone. I guess I've already said welcome, but hey, welcome, everyone. Welcome to all of the Into One Watch parties that are happening right now. From wherever they're happening, uh, kind of near to us or kind of farther away from us, we're going to jump back in today to episode two of a series that uh, is sort of our countdown to Christmas series, and we're calling this one, um, you bring your gifts. Uh, the series is called Come to Worship, and last episode, if you're with us, we talked about uh, lifting up holy hands to God. Next episode, we're going to talk about pouring out your hearts to God. In episode four, we're going to learn about bowing our knees or, or kneeling before God. Uh, four different worship postures, not the first ones that we think of usually, but they can all help us to engage and to connect with our Heavenly Father. That's the idea. And today I want to talk to you about a very, a very powerful way to worship God, especially Christmas-themed style, and that is bringing our gifts before God as an act of worship, the dedication of trust in that. And our title for the series comes directly from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, starting at verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi, Magi is another way to say the wise men, um, they came from the east of Jerusalem, verse 2, and they asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? Where is the one that we've been anticipating for all these years? We saw his star, and when it rose, we have what? Everybody, you can say this part with me. We have come to worship him. The reason they came was to worship Jesus. They, they just weren't on a tour. They weren't sightseeing. They came to worship. And, and King Herod was the king at the time in the area, and he was an evil king. He did not exercise righteous government. And so he got his panic on. He was suddenly afraid that his kingdom would be threatened. And so he lied to these guys. And he said, hey, whenever you find out where this king of the Jews is, please come and tell me because I want to go and worship him too. And then in verse 9, after they had heard the king, they went their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And so the star that had guided them from, from home continued to guide them. They followed it all the way to where they found Jesus. Now, when we read that verse, this one little verse, it just zips by really fast. We don't really grasp the magnitude of what these wise men have just done. They have traveled from what would have been then known as Persia, now modern-day Iran, all the way to where Jesus was, a distance of, and believe it or not, about 1,500 kilometers. That's about two times as wide as Europe. 1,500 kilometers, and they did not get there on WestJet. They did not call for an Uber. They didn't have anything like that. This was a long 
painful journey that they made on purpose with the goal to worship the one that they believed had been sent by God. Verse 10, when they saw the star, what were they? Come on, say it aloud. Church at line, I know that you're kind of slacking off at home, so say this out loud. Church on Main Street, say it with me. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. They were overjoyed. And I want to pause just for a second on this word, because this is a really important part of life and the way that we think of Christmas as well. My life, your life, they were overjoyed. The English translation, the one that we're reading, um, it, it really has a hard time saying what the original Greek said. In the original Greek, there's four words that they use that are translated into they were overjoyed. So another version, another translation in, into English says, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. In the Greek words, they literally mean they rejoiced with a big, humongous, overarching joy. That's what it means. It's kind of like compounding joy. Like maybe to repeat the sounding joy. To repeat the sounding joy. To repeat, repeat the sounding joy. We're so happy about being happy that we're happy that we're so happy that he's here. It's almost impossible to sort of to, uh, play out what those words would mean, what these people have been waiting for centuries, centuries waiting, hoping that one day there might be the one who was born that would save them and rewrite their history. And so from the depths of their soul, they're overjoyed with a humongous and overarching, big, gigantic, huge joy. We draw that out because here's the problem with some of the Christians that are in this world. They're underjoyed. Have you ever been underjoyed? You know, we, we, we should be the most overjoyed people around, and some of us are really working hard at being underjoyed, and it makes no sense. Think about the fact that God has loved us. He did something for us that we couldn't earn, that we did not deserve, and the fact that, that anybody could come into that with knowing this and then respond to him with, with that sourpuss Christian face on, right? What happened that you can come in with that face, that you can come into worship, even approach in, from, uh, from home, like we're mad, like we're upset about different kinds of things, or we've got a critical heart and angry about everything, we're nitpicking everywhere, we've got somebody, something, and government, blah, 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 and masks, rah, 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 and parking lot, rah, and coffee was terrible, and then blah. Listen to me, if you're overjoyed, tell your face, all right? Let it smile with your mouth and your eyes. Show it. Let other people around you know. Being a follower of Jesus, you should be. You have reason to be full of joy more than anybody else in the world. And it doesn't even matter how bad things get now because you've got the promise of eternity. It doesn't just end here. You've got a God who's working in all things to bring about good to those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. You've got a God who is ever-present. He's greater. He is all-knowing. He's all-powerful. And the best part of it yet is that he loves you. Your God is for you. He works in partnership with you. Don't let yourself linger over long in underjoyed. You smile. You can clap. 
You worship, you praise, you don't work so hard all the time to hold it in, to keep it down, to keep it back. Don't let them know I'm happy. Come on, you should be fun to be around. You Be known for what you're for, not what you're against. You should be full of love. Be full of grace. Be full of truth. And when people say you, when people see you, they should say, that's one of the best people around. That person is happy and I'm just better when I'm around them. I have more joy. I have more hope just from being in their presence. Why? We're overjoyed that we have a savior. These guys traveled about 1,500 kilometers and they couldn't wait to worship him. They came prepared just in case. They hoped they were going to find him and they came prepared that if we do find him, we are going to worship him. So what do they do? Verse 11, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and what did they do? They bowed down. We're going to come back to this one portion in episode four. They bowed down, and what did they do? They worshipped him. Now, that's kind of a vague, ambiguous term, right? What does it mean? How did they worship? Watch this pretty carefully here. They worshipped him, verse 11. They opened their treasures that they had brought on purpose. And they presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They were overjoyed after their long walk to bow down, worship the one, and to bring gifts. That's how they were worshiping the one whom they believed that God had sent. They were overjoyed to give. They did not give underjoyed. They were not upset that they got to give. And one of the things that has brought me Great delight in the last couple of years has been watching my kids uh, get excited about choosing, paying for, uh, and giving gifts to each other. The most recent was definitely Griffin, wanting to give Finley the big 13th birthday presents. And honestly, Griffin, I think, was more excited about it than Finley was, and Finley was excited about Finley's birthday. But Griffin was powering the whole house, his big gleaming eyes and his inability to stand still, right? As he was waiting, how about today? And he, he had chosen something that he thought Finley would really like, and he'd used his own money to buy it. And finally, the time came, and Griffin picked up the present that he had chosen himself, and he had paid for himself, and that he had wrapped himself, and now he delivered himself. And when he pres presented it to Finley, he said, open it, open it, open it, open it. Look what I got for you. And he gave it with a joyful heart. There wasn't a bit of it in there going like, well, I don't really like you, but they told me at kids' church that I, got it, I have to do something. There was none of that. It was an overjoyed sense of I get to give. And that's what these wise guys were saying as well when they gave the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. Now, because we've had centuries to think about this, lots of people think about, well, what did it mean? What do those gifts mean? Um, these expensive, extravagant gifts, what do they symbolize? Is there some sort of deeper meaning? And the general thinking is that the gold represents his kingship, that the king of kings and the lord of lords was born. Mark it. And the frankincense, many people believe that marks his priestly ministry as he goes through his life. This is what it is, that role that he has to lead the people towards God. And then the myrrh, the, uh, this other incense, was used to help prepare people for burial. 
And a lot of scholars believe that that was given to him as a foreshadowing that Jesus was actually born to die. They worshipped him and they were overjoyed to bring their gifts as an act of worship, to kneel down. And with tremendous joy in their hearts, they opened up the best of what they had and they gave it to Jesus. This is the way we describe Christmas. And then you can probably figure out where I'm going with this, right? And so what I want to do is encourage you to bring your gifts as an act of worship to God. So last episode, we talked about uh, lifting up holy hands. This is a way to worship God. And next episode, we're going to talk about worship through pouring out our hearts. And then episode four, we're going to talk about uh, worshiping by kneeling down or bowing our knees before God. And today, I would like to encourage you, maybe like you've never before, to give to God, to give as an act of worship, to bring your gift, no obligation, no duty, no sense that I'm going to pay for something, a gift. And you go, oh no, man, it's a giving message. I got sucked into a giving message again, but I got Christmas and there's bills and stuff. And, And I honestly used to resent that when I got trapped at church in that way. Because the reality is I wasn't a giver and I didn't want to do it. And I always saw it as what it cost me. And I sense no benefit. That's it. I was not a giver. Maybe you're in a similar place. And over time, God has changed my heart. And that change is called freedom. It's a living manifestation of trust. And it is so liberating to live in this new world. Now, honestly, I devour giving messages. I love them. I I love the stories. I love the memories. And and I'm growing in anticipation for what new surprise from God is on the horizon. What surprise are we going to have next? And I can tell usually when I'm talking about generosity that there are people kind of smiling and going, yeah, right. And there's other people like, oh my goodness, get me out of here. I can't leave fast enough. But today, (laughs) here's the joy. I can't tell at all. Because if you're here on Main Street, I can't see your face. And if you're at church online, I can't see your anything. Uh, But let me know in the chat how you feel about generosity. Is it a thumbs up or is it a thumbs down? How do you feel when people talk about being generous? Today, I'm going to ask that the Spirit of God will start doing a work in you. And that if you don't love giving now, that you'll be taken on that freedom journey. Where you start to look forward to it. You think about it. You plan to give. You are strategic and you become overjoyed to give to God who gave everything to you. Why should it be this way? Why should that bubble up? Because love gives. Doesn't it? When you love someone, you give to them. Love gives. What's one of the best known verses in the Bible? Right? It's John 3.16, right? It goes a little something like this. For God so loved the world, what did he do? He gave. What did he give? Why did he give? Because he so loved the world. That's why he was giving. And what did he give? For God so loved the world that he gave not gold, not frankincense, not myrrh, but his only son. That's how much he loved us. Because love gives. Because God looked at creation. He realized we're separated by sin. 
I'm going to have to break down some barriers and open some doors, he's thinking. And the only way that they can be brought into one, the only way that they could be made right with him is if someone innocent would die in their place. Someone without sin. So he became flesh among us in the person of Jesus. Lived the perfect life, died, rose again, so that anyone who puts their faith in him would be safe because love gives. That's what God does. God is love. We love God because God first loved us. Love gives. When you love, you can see it in the lives of people because love gives. It is visible. Romans 5.8 says this, but God does what? Everybody say it out loud. God demonstrates He shows us his own love. He demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, when we did nothing that would deserve it, Christ died for us. Christ died for you. God didn't shout his love from the heavens. Hey, love you guys down there. Here's another sunset for you. He showed his love on earth. He sent Jesus to die for us because love gives God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for me, died for you. Now, I talk about this. Some, some of you probably say, you know what, I, I do. I, don't, I have this connection to God. I love him. But giving's really hard for me. I, I, I'd like to give, but I feel all, all this financial pressure. How am I going to balance this thing? And you know what? I understand that. I am not trying to be invasive and, and horrible in your life. I know that you're, I, I love, but I'm hesitant. I'm loved. I love, but I'm reluctant. And I want to read to you from Proverbs chapter 3. Very, very popular, well-known portion of Scripture. And there's a portion after the portion that you, that you know well, and that, that other portion is the portion that people don't put together in this context of this worldwide famous verse. Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Right? You've heard this before. And lean not on your own understanding. Verse 6, In all your ways submit to Him or acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. Trust in God. Don't lean on or rely only on your own ability to understand, to be able to see how this will work. But trust in Him. Trust in Him. Trust Him. Verse 7, don't be wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and shun evil. 8, this will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Now, in the context of what this is written, we're still... Same context, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Solomon goes on and he says this in verse 9, honor the Lord. And this word honor, it means to worship, it means to adore, it means to praise, it means to honor, worship. Honor, worship the Lord with what? He says, worship the Lord, honor the Lord with your wealth. Worship God with what you have. Now, This is only one of the ways that we worship God, but it is a very important way to worship God because it has so much to do with our trust, so much to do with where we put our faith. And they were overjoyed and they opened up their treasures and they worshiped him. Honor the Lord, worship the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. 10, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Worship God with your wealth, and then you will open up the pathway to blessing. Honor him with the first fruits of your wealth. And you go, so 
first fruits, eh? What are first fruits? Well, this parallels what the prophet um, Malachi in the Old Testament taught as well. Jesus affirms this again in the New Testament. Matthew 23, 23 is a place you could check for that. It's also talked about in the book of Hebrews. It's known as the tithe. And it's from a Hebrew word, okay? And that is the word masar. And it simply means a tenth. Malachi says that we worship God with a tenth of what he trusts us with. We bring in the first portion of whatever he gives to us as an act of worship. And Malachi says, when we do this, God opens up the windows of heaven. God pours out so many blessings on us that we do not even have room to contain it. We worship the Lord with the first tenth of what he gives us. Now, in my mind, used to be, that just sounded un hinged, okay? That sounded insane. And for years, I thought the same thing as many of you uh, are probably thinking right now. There ain't no way I'm getting sucked into that nonsense. 10%? (laughs) No way! That's something that weirdos do, and I'm no weirdo. But then I'd go back and I'd think, this is what Solomon said. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. In all of your ways. Generosity is not something that we want from you. It is something that we want for you. We don't want you to just eke out an existence here. No. We don't want you to just survive. We want you to thrive and to grow in your faith and to grow into your freedom. We wholeheartedly believe in generosity. Generosity in time, in treasure, in talent. Honor the Lord with the first fruits of what he blesses you with. We bring our first, we bring our best, and we trust God with the rest. We bring to God our first and our best. The first 10%, not the last 10%, not what's left over, not if there's anything left. The moment we're blessed with an increase, we bring God our first and our best and we trust God to bless bless the rest. We recognize that where that 100% came from was not us. And the tithers are honestly, they're they're easy to spot usually. Even with masks on, you can tell because people are just kind of nodding like this, right? They know. They've done this. They've lived. They've experienced it. And they know that 90% with God's blessing is far more than 100% without it. When we actually worship God, when we display the trust, when we release the control, trust Him in this way, it does something in us that is supernatural and also really hard to explain. There is a change that happens. And it might feel kind of awkward at first, maybe, maybe awkward like it was lifting up your hands in worship. But then worship isn't really about you, is it? It's focused on the who. To whom do you bring your worship? And when we're tithing, we bring 10%, and we return it to the storehouse, which is a picture of the local church, the very place where we gather together, in person or online, where we are nurtured, we are nourished, we're being fed, we're given spiritual bread, and we gain spiritual life, and together we make a difference in the world, all over the world, as the church. So we return 10% to the storehouse. Now, when Into One was uh, first beginning, 
I donated all of my time. There were, this is a weird section, okay? I'm not saying that you should do this. This is what, me. This is a weird section because my regular income was non-existent, had nothing. The first 16 months of Into One, I was paid $0 from the church. But what was really amazing was that God had already formed in me this understanding, a supernatural change, that I would still continue to tithe. So maybe that sounds like math that you can really follow, right? You go, 10% of zero is, hey, there you go, God, right? But it wasn't like that. It was at least 10%. 10% was my starting amount. At least 10% of whatever I received from wherever I received it, from wherever it came from, Not one month in that 16 months did I ever wonder where my rent money was coming from. Not one month did I ever question, how am I going to feed my family? Resources continued to arrive from all over. Other jobs, speaking engagements, gifts, honorariums, clothes, food, money for tires, a van, vacation spot. It just kept coming in. We had to store things outside of our apartment because we didn't have room. My God just continued to shower us with provision in so many different ways over so, all these months that it would take me months to tell you the stories. And we remained faithful also. We continued to give what we had. We didn't take out a loan to try and give a lot more. We just gave from what we had. And it was the strangest thing because what we had did not seem to run out and it did not seem to wear out. We found resources and the increased desire to give to other people who we saw in need. And God just kept providing. And he he provided that deeply and straight into the DNA of Into One. Generosity is a mark of our devotion and our freedom. We will not live as slaves to scarcity. Not when my God richly provides. Not when my God provides abundantly. God gave me grace to trust him. And then he caused my trust to grow. My faith grew and it grew because I found that my God was faithful again and again and again. God, I'm trusting you and and I'm believing you. I'm going to try. This takes faith and I'm trusting you. Thank, Thank you for helping me with the faith part also. We give God our first and our best and we trust him to bless the rest. Now, I am not saying if you tithe, you're going to get a new car or a hot tub. Certainly not a hot tub because I'm still waiting on one of those too. What I'm saying is that God proves himself faithful and frequently in ways that you didn't expect. It's the only place in scripture where he says, test me. If you don't believe me, test me. Test me. Worship me in this way and just see what I will do for you. And now, here's another weird one. I enjoy tithing. It sounds weird to say it out loud, and maybe it's weird for you to hear it, but it's true. And I'm overjoyed overjoyed to be a sneaky surpriser gifter sometimes. I love finding that that surprise of God's going to bless somebody else through me. What's he going to do? Here's the surprise. And it's the blessing. It's not horrible work. Try it out. I love watching how this partnership arises when we needed something here at Into One and God prompts someone to be a part of the solution. And what a year we've had, right? Remember, last year at this time, we were just returning to this building after having been uh, taking the show on the road for about seven weeks, I think, when we joined together with Stovall Christian Church down the road. Do you remember that? 
Do you remember the participation in phase one of Project Accessibility? We, we were together and we watched thousands and thousands of dollars come in from all kinds of different people to cover the cost of breaking down barriers and opening doors. I remember. It swells me with admiration at how God orchestrated so many details in our path. And many of you were key contributors then, before then, and since then. Thank you. Thank you for giving. Thank you for sharing some of what God has blessed and trusted you with. Thank you for the ways that you contributed generously when the COVID situation empowered us to burst into the church online world. We're still figuring it out. We're still working on some of the equipment side of things, but we are in motion. In that time, you, you gave so that we could support some of our community some of our international community as well, but to provide some much-needed encouragement for people who have been forced into struggles. And I am overjoyed watching the different pieces, the, the different elements that they sort of appear, and then somehow they come together. And I believe that the church of Jesus Christ will lead the way in this world with irrational generosity. We truly believe it is more blessed to give than to receive. We love to do it. Why? Because God gave first. And that's who we model ourselves after. We are overjoyed to give because love loves to give. And now I never once say, I don't want to tithe anymore. The desire for me to keep that money for myself is gone. It has been lifted and I have been set free from that need. I love to return to God because God blessed me. I love to give beyond that because God is so good and I love watching and participating in that. I love watching what God will do in me and through me and all around me. It's a constantly adjusting, surprising adventure. Love loves to give. But it's more than just giving wealth. That's a very important thing. You look at what you do with your money and it's an indicator of what's in your heart. Period. No argument about that. We honor God with our wealth. But the ultimate thing that we give is way beyond that. We're to give our lives. That's what Paul said. And, and in case you forget about who Paul was, some of you, some of you, you might be watching right now, you're not a Christian at all. In fact, you, you might hate Christians. Well, you would like Paul. Because Paul hated Christians. He hated, he hated them more than I hope you do. Uh, he killed them. That, that's how much he hated them. But somewhere in that story, he is transformed. The guy who imprisoned and beat up and tortured and killed Christians was so transformed by God that this is what he wrote. Romans chapter 12, one of my favorite verses. Therefore, because of everything else, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, listen to what he says, in view of what God did for him, in view of what God is, uh, who God is and what God did for us. He said, I urge you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, ongoing. It's not, not just wealth. Wealth is easy. Wealth is a starting place, but our whole lives. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. It's trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. It, it, it doesn't make sense in my mind all by itself, but in all my ways I acknowledge him, and he will make my path straight. 
I will honor him with my first and my best, and I will trust him to bless the rest. And because these men were overjoyed at a Savior, God loved first. He demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for me, Christ died for you, Christ died for us. And so these guys, they traveled far, they traveled hard to open up their treasures, to kneel before him, to worship him. We love because he first loved us. Come on, let's pray together. Father, we ask that in your presence that you would do a work in our hearts. Set us free. God, that giving wouldn't be just something that we do or certainly not something that we have to do, but it would be a reflection of what you have done and are doing in our hearts. God, I pray that that your Holy Spirit would speak to your church today wherever this church is gathered and that you would move us, God, to be generous in all that we do, recognizing it truly is more blessed to give than to receive. (coughs) And as you give today, make it an act of worship. Not something that's just an act of obedience, you better, or duty, or an obligation. God, you've given us life. You've given me the gift of grace through Jesus. And as I take a moment, I think about that. When you do today, when you stop and think, when you connect, when you decide to give, connect your heart to the heart of God. Let it come from your heart as an act of worship, not something that you feel you must. Instead, something that you are allowed to do. Transform our hearts and give us that gift that we long for so much, which is the freedom from that worry and replace it with trust in you. I pray in Jesus' name. For all my friends that are listening now, that are watching now, meet with them. Give them a taste of your spirit. Give them a strength measure increase in their trust. That they might know that they were in contact with you today. Yeah. Bless them, I pray in Jesus' name.